Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our Game Changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then, buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and, of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. All right, we are live in three two one all right everybody here we are once again west point mississippi welcome yeah we, I'm, I'm talking for lanny because yeah. he's not here yeah I, I was about to say so we got a little bit different crew uh dudley you're always here we can't seem to get rid of you right. like that proverbial bad penny that always shows but up. again you know lanny's not here so i've already had five cups of coffee to try to compensate yeah i can't do the laugh though well sitting in lanny's chair is mac uh who uh who's taking time out of uh, sales and running around in the warehouse and all that to come in here and sit down with us and uh, be part of this podcast. We appreciate that, Mike. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, we yeah. still got some time on the food plots. It, we we do, you know, especially these guys in the south. So uh, and we hadn't had any rain in September to speak of. Mm-mm. So uh, I mean, even if you planted earlier, it's just laying there waiting on the rain. So uh, guys, just it it is if you're in the deep south, it's time to get it done. Yep. And you've got all October, too, if you can't get it in in September. Yeah, the thing is, we're about a week behind on this podcast, so hopefully it will have rained by this time this airs. It looks like there's a 40 or 50% chance in this part of the world Sunday. Good. You just planted yours, didn't you? Uh, well, I got prepared to plant, so I'm, uh, I'm looking at trying to plant Saturday is my, my goal. So so there we go with that. So, uh, look, today we're going to – we've got – a. Later on, and I'm going to introduce him uh, a little bit later on, but we've got a guy that I met many years ago. We, we've got a mutual friend named Bruce Udala who introduced me to Paul Korn, and he is the most energetic, fun to be around, world-traveling bow hunter, gamekeeper, managing farms in Wisconsin and Missouri. He, he's just a ball of fire, but... It, not everybody's heard of this guy, and I think he's just going to be he, – He's. I, I'm telling you, I, he's so much fun. Now, we may turn the cameras on and he, <laughs> and, he, and he not have that energy that he does in person, but he's incredible. I've, I've, I've never met him, but I've laughed so hard at some of the stories of, of y'all talking about him and, you know, experiences at, you know, deer hunting, deer yeah. camp. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this, and uh, he's an incredibly knowledgeable – uh, bow hunter, he he understands bows, so I, I'm looking forward to learning a lot of that stuff too. It, look, I don't go, I don't have a problem going out and saying he may be the best shot, the best bow hunter that I know. Now I'm not taking anything away from Mark Jury. I, I mean, Mark is the best deer hunter I know, but this guy is he travels the world with a bow, killing stuff at 80 and 90 yards, and but he he is 
just a, he's just incredible. You'll just have to hear it from his own mouth. I don't want to blow his own horn, but Mac, I really think you'll enjoy this. And so, uh, Richie, before we get started down that rabbit hole, what what have you got for us for a commercial this week? <laughs> so, uh, commercial this week, I thought it'd be a good opportunity to uh, uh, expound on. Leopold, and talk to us about your experience out west. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I, you know, on my recent elk hunt, I don't know if I've got to hear that again. Well, yeah. So, (laughs) but I did. The Leopold glasses were just, I mean, you got to have good glasses out there on those mountains. And that was was a big part of the hunt. And then when we finally got into uh, some bugling bulls, and this one walks up at about 200 yards, and I get him in the scope. And I can see his eyes. I mean, I can look in his eyes and I can tell what he, if he's liking what he's seeing or, I mean, I, I can see all that emotion in his eyes. And when our, our guide, his name was uh, Brady Talent, when he bugled at that bull, I could see the bull's reaction, had the scope zoomed up. I could see that he believed that. He, he just turned and started walking straight toward us. And then he bugled. But yeah, I just remember remarking to myself how clear that scope was and how, that scope and that being zoomed up to 14, it allowed me to visually see that in that animal's face. Yeah, I mean, he, he totally bought it. Yeah. And then later on, he literally bought it. So I'm a big fan of Leopold products. So, uh, Richie, thank you for, I mean, that's about as good a way as I could talk yeah. about them. Great company, great warranty. Uh, they're just, they're hard to beat. Scopes. Shoot, I used range them fishing. Finder. Uh, in Venice a couple weeks ago. And I mean, that's just unbelievable. I mean, especially being able to see, like, spot, see a lot of those triple tail. I mean, they did awesome. I mean, that from alligator hunting, I mean, shooting doves. I mean, I wear mine all the time. They make fantastic glasses. They make fantastic range finders, mm-hmm. scopes, obviously, and uh, and binoculars. So, guys, check out, what is the website? That's be uh, loophole.com. Okay. All right. That sounds good. So, thank you, Richie. So, what about blood on the biologic? Anybody? I, I'm seeing uh, there's quite a few deer being killed. Yeah. We recently had a velvet season in Mississippi, and a lot of people were successful at that. And they're able to take CWD samples from those deer. So, it, it was a, a good program to have. And a lot of people hadn't even really had an opportunity to take a velvet buck. And uh, so this was this was good for a lot of folks. Did y'all see where Owen Fennin killed a big deer with a uh, in velvet? Yeah, you know, I did. He, uh, yeah, he uh, was a camera guy on the capture team and a heck of a guy. I got to be around him, I, you know, going back to Colorado. There's so many people killing deer right now. I, I don't even know where to begin. Yeah, it's- I had a buddy end up, Jesse, uh, that our farms are right down the road from each other. He ended up killing a really good deer. In Holmes County. In Velvet. In Velvet. How about that? Yep, it was a, it was a great deer. Wow. And, I mean, I'm shooting, we're seeing a bunch of them fall, or a bunch of them fail, it seemed like. I mean, they're easier to pattern, it seems like, I mean, for the most part. And, I mean, it gives you a shot where a lot of people in Mississippi don't get the opportunity to shoot a Velvet deer. Yeah. You know, unless something weird's going on. But right. it's just, it's a really cool thing. I hopefully, hopefully they do it again next year. Yeah, I, I think, hope so. I it was kind of controversial. You know, everybody's got their opinions. But um, oh, I, I think overall it's a great thing. Yeah, and I I, I do too. I now applaud the Mississippi wildlife guys for, for you know sticking their neck out and trying it. And I but I do think it was successful. So, all right, guys, what anything else to cover before we get started? Um, no, I collected some pawpaws, and I was hoping Vandy and Sam would bring some pawpaw ice cream in for us. But another week goes by with no pawpaw ice cream. So. Mm. 
We did have the Foxhole shootout last week, and that was just a success. absolute blast. I mean, for St. Jude and Soul, I mean, it was a great Catch a dream. Yep. Yep. I mean, it was a fantastic event. Vandy, kudos to Vandy on that. I mean, he kind of ran with that ball and did a great job. It was an awesome event. The food was just amazing, all the chefs that came in town. Yeah, yeah. what was your favorite? Oh, probably that probably that alligator sandwich ball bite thing yeah i mean that was pretty i don't even know what it was called but it was good the tacos were great the I lamb mean, tacos the lamb tacos i mean just the raw tuna tartar oh know. my gosh yeah they brought in a whole tuna from venice louisiana yep. and cut that thing up uh murder point oyster company brought several thousand oysters and uh they were being grilled. They were being raw. I mean, had a raw bar. Uh, Michael Hunter was cooking those huge uh, tomahawk bison ribeyes. Uh, you know, Brian Jupiter, I mean, they cooked that venison leg. I mean, there was so much. Yeah. Um, you know, and then the golf tournament was awesome. It was. So, it was a really good golf tournament. Uh, I, I got to sit sit on a hole out there, and me and Jason McKellar watched some folks try to hit a hole in one. No one got very close, but uh, <laughs> it was still it was still a good time and for a great cause. Um, so, any listeners that want to get involved with that next year, just be on the lookout. Uh, there's a there's an Instagram page. There's a website for Foxhole Shootout. Um, it's a really good time, and uh, for the money you spend, it's it's the best meal hands down you'll have oh yeah it, it really is so yeah there'll be more about that coming out but, but when uh, it, it comes back around next september so all right well so look let's get started we've got uh let me let's just start off i want to introduce so we, we've got uh, on the line with us and uh it's paul corn and he's from wisconsin he is uh he, he's a, a, a incredible bow hunter he owns an archery shop called a1 archery He's got an outfitting business in Missouri uh, called Tombstone Creek. He's he's made fortunes and uh, in the plastics business. He, he's just done it all, and he spent a lot of time in Mississippi working with Will Primos a bunch. And uh, so, Richie, could you hit the horns, please? There we go. We're hitting the horns for you, there, Paul. How you doing? I'm doing great. You know, I know any day's a good day when I hear alligator sandwich. I just can't get over that, man. Wow. You know what? That might be the, the, the farm boy in me. That sounds kind of good. I could go for that for, for, for lunch today. Uh, yeah, our buddy Craig Verhaga did that. Yeah, it was so good. You you'll have to come down next year for it. Oh my! I let you got. I'm you got me. I'm in. So we're looking at you, Paul, and in the background, it looks like there's 40 or 50 deer heads and uh, antelope and mule deer. You, so this must be, uh, you must be in your, your trophy room, I would imagine. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in my kind of my office area where I <clears throat> have hung a few items that I've collected throughout the years. Um, yeah, so I've got a, my office is kind of set up as a pretty nice man cave. Yeah. So one of the things that, you know, when I met you years ago through Bruce, uh, you know, just instantly you've got such a good uh, vibe about you. You're such a positive guy <laughs> and you, but you're so much fun to be around, but you may be, and I'm sure this isn't the first time you've ever heard this. You may be the most OCD guy I've ever met. And I think we need to throw that out first so that as we start yeah. explaining about Paul, people understand just how OCD he is. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, that's that's definitely definitely true. That's right. And I'm usually pretty optimistic. The glass is usually half full running over. 
So, um, but yeah, no, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I get pretty, especially when I get wound up talking about something, I get pretty animated, I guess, but yeah, I'm, I don't like to sit still. I'm always, I've always got something going on and I've always got something in the works. I'm always planning and scheming, scheming and getting ready. Yeah. Well, and so you have traveled so much and you've got a YouTube channel that I think has got over a thousand videos and it's of Paul hunting, just various stuff. He and his family's son and whatnot, but he, correct me if I'm wrong, over 500 and something animals. Yeah. Yeah. I've taken, yeah, it's, I think it's like 580 is close to 600 different <clears throat> big game animals that I've taken with bow and arrow. Of course, I've been doing it a long time. Uh, I started, my dad got me bow hunting when I was very young. And of course we grew up on a dairy farm. So, you know, there was, believe it or not, there was always something to do. And, but uh, once I got off that farm, I got hooked up with a, a really good friend of mine yet to this day, Tim Gass. And I thought we were just talking about it over the weekend. He, uh, I thought he was just the most experienced, awesome hunter because he had killed three deer with his bow, you know, but back then I was just out of high school and I was going to going on to, to, to school. And, um, and it's like this guy, and he taught me a lot, actually how to use a tree stand and stuff like that. And then once, once I got away from that farm and, and had some time to actually get out in the woods, I, 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 I guess I, what you'd call would be like, went a little crazy. And, uh, and I, it was kind of interesting because when I was younger, you know, it's a really interesting, like today, if you think about it, more people will watch hunting that'll actually do it. You know, I mean, actually spend the time. Well, of course, when we were all younger, it was just the opposite. You maybe would look forward to, you know, outdoor life coming out or like fur fishing game and maybe get an article on trapping or, you know, get an article and, and, and then you would try to, everything was done through trial and error. And, um, it's it's changed so much there's so much information out there and there's so much technology so much equipment it's almost mind-boggling if you you know if you take a a one-month hiatus from from what's going on you're like you're falling behind already you know but but it was kind of neat the way that we grew up just uh, going out and learning how to do it and uh you know and 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 honing your skill and i remember going to like you know, like the deer classics in the, you know, in the late eighties, Miles Keller would be doing a seminar on whitetail hunting and there'd be, you know, 25,000 people there, you know, and you could hear a pin drop in the place. Everybody's just, you know, uh, just right. Just honed in on every word, trying to learn what they could learn to be able to shoot a deer like this guy could, you know? So, so that, that's kind of the cool thing. I've seen a lot, you know, when I started my archery shop in 1988, I would say probably 25% of my customers are shooting traditional yet. I'm right on the Minnesota border. Uh, mechanical releases were not even allowed. I believe that it was like, I want to say it was like 92 or 93. So my customers that, you know, lived and hunted in Minnesota couldn't even use a trigger aid, you know, so everybody was shooting fingers. I was selling hey, a lot of those can't pitch, can't pinch tabs, you know, and stuff like that. So anyways, it's kind of interesting to see the transition going from, that now you know to compounds to now to now really to crossbows i mean crossbows i was just talking about it's my my partner at a1 archery dan ellison i said man when we started doing this in the late 80s people were transitioning out of you know out of recurves now it's really 30 years from now it's probably going to be it looks like it's going to be you know crossbows are going to just pick up more and more steam you know well we'll say it's it's kind of you know i like doing it 
all different ways. I've got a crossbow. Yeah. I've got a compound. Yeah. I still shoot a recurve. I've got my dad's ancient bear longbow. Absolutely. Uh, and, you just, know, and what we're seeing here is that, you know, the, the firearms numbers are going down, especially in Wisconsin, since they made it all inclusive, the firearm sales, uh, license sales are going down. People are doing it earlier. They're using the crossbow, you know? So, you know, we, it, we do it always. I have nothing against, I actually have a whole closet full of guns. I think I have about 25 of them. I probably need a refresher course on how to load it. I'll probably have Bobby come up one of these days and show me how to <laughs> load this thing and how it all works or whatever. But I, I just don't use them a lot. I really used to enjoy shooting them but I got so heavily into archery and traveling and it seems to be pretty much a year round deal now, but I, I absolutely love, I hope I can shoot my compound bow, you know, for many more years. I'm starting to, I'm going to be 57 this year. And I noticed my shoulders are, how do you say, getting a little crunchy. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, uh, there's been a lot of arrows run through there, you know, so, uh, but uh, hopefully I can, I can keep going and do it for a long time. I, I love, there's nothing like, to me, there's nothing like bow hunting. So I, I've been in a camp with this guy, and I, I'm, I'm telling you, he's a cold-blooded killer. It, but there's two things I hope that we can do today, Paul, and so that we can learn, our listeners can learn. But So we, we're right here. At the, both season has started in some places. It's about to start in others. What, yep. what Can you give some tips that guys can do right now to, just to kind of polish up on their bow skills and get ready? And then after we do that, I also want to make sure that we get you to explain how you keep your composure in a tree stand because uh, you're really good at that. So uh, if, if th th those things, I want to take a little time and, and let you explain those things, please. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, if, if it's okay, can I start with keeping your composure? Yeah. Be yeah because keep, keeping, uh, keeping your composure is such a hard thing. You know, I don't know if you'll ever master it. It's kind of really controlling it, but uh, I think my, the theme of the day is to try to keep things as simple as you possibly can. And to me, if you're to keep the, the first, the key to keeping your composure is to only focus on breathing. That, that is it. Keep it very simple like that because I've, I've actually filmed a lot of people and I've been like, especially, you know, bear hunting. I bet you I filmed over a hundred bear hunts. It's kind of a, you know, we, we, it's, you know, it's a controlled thing where you're bringing animals and I watch people and, and they, they don't realize it, but you're holding your breath. I think a lot of buck fever and stuff is starving your brain of oxygen and everybody's going to react differently under intense pressure. It's no different than, you know, I'm a Green Bay Packers fan, so I don't like the Vikings. And I, and Kurt Cousins is always, seems like he always has trouble at prime time, you know? And it's like, I don't know. I don't know why he doesn't have it, but I don't want to give him any secrets either. You know, I don't want to tell him to start breathing, but, but I mean, seriously, if you, if when an animal's coming in and you feel your heart rate elevating and you feel yourself getting weak, if you just focus on breathing in and exhaling, inhale, and just keep, make sure you, and, and you're kind of thinking about that and you're kind of, kind of like, when you're shooting a bow, if you're thinking about aiming, if you're concentrating on aiming, it'll give you target panic it, to some degree. You have to, aiming always has to be secondary. That's why for some people, it's so much easier to shoot at an animal than it is at a, at a target because you're trying to precisely get that right on the bullseye. So really you need to, 
if you focus on breathing, I promise it'll help. And then my, my wife laughs at me because when, when I first started hunting and I got married, I got married at 20 years old. And so I've been married for, for a long time where I'm looking at the clock going, Holy, Holy cripes. It's 40 years coming up here pretty soon, you know, but I, I used to tell her, I remember when I started to kind of, kind of beat it a little bit where something would come in and I wouldn't fall apart, you know, or, you know, or, or not remember what pin I used or, you know, or rushed a shot or whatever. I, I used to tell, I told my wife one time and she still laughs about this. I said, I imagine I'm at the zoo and there's an imaginary fence all the way around me and I can't quite see it, but I know he can't get away. So I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a really good shot. I'm not going to do something that I wished I wouldn't do. You know, like it's walking at me and I think, oh yeah, I'll try one of them head on shots that work one out of 10 times, you know, but I mean, but you're, I think you're so worried about your, you know, opportunities are limited throughout the year. So whatever you can do to trick yourself into, you know, believing, but then eventually really, honestly, it's just breathing. And then after a while, you, if you hold your breath a little bit, I, I, and I, I just, I'm just amazed at how many times I've seen people do that. You start getting a little bit work amped up and you hold your breath a little bit and you start, you, you do stuff that is like, you know, like what in the heck are you doing? You know, Hey, you're talking to them, tell them to draw their, okay, draw now. And they're sitting over there and they, they're just like in a, you know, just breathe in, breathe out. That is the number one most important thing. If you can master that, just think about breathing. I promise it'll, it'll, it'll help. Then you're thinking about something else other than, Oh my God, he's going to get away or, or whatever. So that's, I mean, hopefully that's, that's uh, some advice that you know listeners can use. It's been very, very, very helpful to me. And then, as far as, and I don't know if you want to have any follow up questions to that or whatever. Is I was going to jump right into preparation. For Go season. ahead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so preparing for season once again, my theme is always going to be the basics. And I'll use a football analogy. You'll be watching football, and a guy's running before he catches the ball, right? You know, it's like, you know, it's, you, you get a little bit ahead of yourself. I, I see so many people that are, don't cover the basics. And what I mean by the basics are, um, if you have any new equipment that you've actually practiced with it and used it, I mean, down at Tombstone Creek, you know, where, you know, we killed last year, we killed a, like 160 some deer last year between all the between all the bucks and the non-birthing deer. <laughs> what, now what in the world yeah, are you I'm talking politically about? correct, all right? Um, but, you know, so and them are the ones that are killed. And, of course, there's just as many that are shot at or opportunities get messed up, you know. And, and I can, and it's amazing. When it's kind of just you and your friends and you hear little things, when you have, like, a couple hundred different people doing this, and you hear the stuff that goes wrong. Oh, I got a new face mask and I drew back and I couldn't see through my peep. And you're going, oh man, this, these are all very, very, I got a new safety harness and I went to turn, I couldn't turn to the left, you know? And it's like, so anytime you get something that's new, it has to be tried and true. You have to make sure that, you know, your opportunities are going to be very minimal bow hunting. So make sure that you're set up for a 20 yard shot and under so in other words, don't have a 40 yard pin on your bow and say, I'm going to aim. I'll just put it on the bottom. If he's lower, the ones that you want to convert are the closer, even though everybody talks about, you know, the, you've shot so many animals at longer distance and stuff like that. In some ways I'm kind of embarrassed that I couldn't figure out how to get closer, you know, but, um, 
but for the most part, you know, I, I'm, I want you to set up for that 20 yard shot and make sure that you can use all your equipment and that, and, and, and you know, like your bow is going to be quiet. You can draw it, draw it at different angles that, uh, you, you know, you can find your anchor point that you can see through your face mask that you can operate with your safety harness on. Um, so if you're in a ground blind, you're not going to hit the windows. You're all this stuff, you know, or even if you're in a ground blind sitting in a chair, like all the times I've seen people hit their legs, I'm literally, if I'm filming a hunt, I'm, I'm watching every, No, you're going to, I mean, I'm trying to save people from themselves, you know, but you, there's not going to be somebody there watching you all the time. You need to make sure that you're, that, that all these little things, all these little details are what end up killing your success in bow hunting. And, and, it, and it's just amazing. Like, so last year, or two years ago, Matthews comes out with the V3 bow, right? So all these people come with V3 bows and then the V3X comes out, you know, the, the, that's the current model right now. And somebody will come up to me and say, hey, I've got the V3. Do you think it pays? Should I buy the V3X? And I'll be like, didn't you just tell me you don't have a range finder? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? Here's what I would do if I were you. You're getting ahead of yourself a little bit. You're, I mean, you're thinking you're going to shoot that much better with a new model bow, but you don't do anything for scent control. Your tree stands squeaky and crappy, if I can say that. <laughs> and uh, and you don't have a range finder. So why? I mean, I would rather go dig my old bear whitetail hunter out of the closet and use that than to not have a range finder because if I know how far it is, I have a chance. But so I'm people are are really, it seems like focused on not the right thing. I mean, whatever equipment you have, I mean, if you got a bow that's 10 years old, you put that in the right hands and with somebody that can actually run that thing and, and get the arrow to go out the window or, and, you know, and uh, uh, you know, be able to shoot with their face mask on and all this other stuff. Them are the people that are deadly, you know, being able to get all the baby cover all your bases on the details, you know, not, you know, it, it, like I said, it's, it's, it's really crazy. Someone will call me, I've got 11% front over center. I'm thinking about going to 18, you know, and then we go through all this stuff that at the end of the year, how'd your season go? Ah, I hit the, hit the window on the blind. And you're like, God. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, Oh, all right. Well, I guess I just assumed that that part would be taken care of, you know, but, but a, a lot of that stuff happens, you know? So that, that's really my kind of whole take is, you know, and then, you know, really any, any um, practice that you can do that you, you know, that's going to be real hunting, you know, hunt simulated. You know, I, I remember like, man, we had, you know, we had no money and nothing to do when we were kids growing up. So it's like, oh, bow season is in two weeks. We take our Baker climbers and we go practice with them, you know, cause you know, the first couple of times you go out, you're going to be all thumbs, oh, you know, maybe sure. your backpack's got all your Turkey stuff in it. You take all that Turkey stuff out and you get it, you know, in you know, I, I usually when people come to hunt with us at Tombstone, I, I like to find out, have you hunted this year yet? Well, no, I haven't hunted since turkey season. Well, you know, if if they've hunted a couple of times and even if they shot a doe, they're ready to go. You know, they kind of got the, you know what it's like that first time you go out, you go to pull your grunt call out and there's a, there's a crow call there. You know, that doesn't work very good for deer hunting, you know? So, I mean, that, that kind of crazy stuff, you know, it's like just to kind of 
you know, get in the group. But if you can get out and if you're using a climbing stand or like, you know, people will come, hey, look, I bought this tree saddle. What do you think of those? I'm like, well, what do you think of it? Well, I don't know. I haven't tried it yet. I'm like, well, you're going to learn how to use it tomorrow when you're hunting the hundred. Well, that sounds pretty crazy to me, you know, but, but I mean, and, and, and don't get me wrong. I have nothing against as many arsenals as you can have in your toolbox. You know, if you've got a climbing stand, a hang on stand, a sling, a ground blind, the more, you know, the more tools you have, but you need to know how to use this stuff. And you can't, you're not going to learn to use a tree sling. I'm pretty sure when you're on your hunt in Missouri for one week. And if you, I mean, I've had people pull brand new bows out of their, out of the box. I got to put my bow together. And you're like, Ooh, boy, that is, is that set up for success on Bobby? <laughs> yeah, that's but so I mean, I, I, it, it's probably common sense to a lot of people that have been doing this for a long time, but it's amazing how, how all these little details and because archery is all about eliminating variables. It really is. I mean, the more variables that you can eliminate, the easier it's going to be. So and if you start with the simple ones, like I can see through my face mask, I'm not going to hit my leg. My safety harness isn't going to get in the way. I can I'll figure out the yardages. I know how to load my bow. My quiver doesn't rattle when I shoot. My, my bow is quiet. I've, I've gone through and I've prepared and I've taken care of all them things. Then things get a lot better if you can just eliminate variables until you get to the point where you know, like if one gets you, you're surprised. I didn't see that branch, you know, because I know, I know when I hunt, I memorize the last, you know, most of your shots for deer hunting, especially in Wisconsin here, you're going to be in timber. It's going to be dark the last 15 minutes. And I need to memorize at least three or four lanes. If I get sloppy and it's, it's amazing how you're in the woods and you know, you got like four good spots you can shoot. And then the last 15 minutes, heck, I can shoot anywhere. This looks great, you know, <laughs> but it really isn't. It's not, it's not. Cause when I go down and help you look for your arrow and it's stuck in the ground sideways or whatever, you go, yeah, it looks like you went through some, I call it cabbage, you know, looks like you went through a little cabbage, man, it looked clear. Well, you know, there's things that you can do to mentally prepare yourself for that, you know, so for that's, sure. that's kind of, you know, really the, really the big, take on what i try to communicate with people you know <laughs> this guy had, we made i think that was 21 minutes for you. <laughs> was it really oh god i'm sorry no 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 Actually, you're, you're there's a lot of people that'd be proud that would be proud of me wow you stopped less than a half hour <laughs> so that Dudley, i told you he was high energy oh, yeah. so, so i know you've got a question well i mean i was gonna say the the biggest takeaway i got from that and and something i learned the hard way is when I have my bow and, you know, when I get up in my stand and get ready, uh, it, it only makes sense to make a few practice draws. Absolutely. Uh, Every makes, time. Like when, you said, there's no exactly. branches in the way. You're shooting close to underneath you all the way out to 30 or so, to the right, to the left. Uh, yeah. No, that's, this that's a very... A noise? And, and absolutely, like I, I always, you know, knock an arrow up. If your peep's not going to roll or something or some crazy thing's going to happen, you're going to want to know before the deer gets there, you know, and, and it just kind of becomes, you know, I, I think them are just really super good habits to build is to try to be as proactive as you can. And, you know, and, and I'll be honest with you, you know, the last, you know, probably 10 years, I've become more, I was so anal about all that stuff. I've become a little bit more 
you know, complacent on a lot of things, but, but I do, I still, I put my arrow in and I draw my bow back and I want, you know, you might find, find out that you draw your bow back and you let down and your loop squeezed in a little bit, or, and all of a sudden your arrow goes shooting out of there. Well, you know, when the big buck, you know, stops behind a tree and you let down and your arrow fall, I've heard that story a hundred times, but um, you know, you don't, you want to try to eliminate all those variables, those bad, 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 you know, usually when a deer comes in, there's a lot of things that can happen and most of them end up not being very good. You know what I mean? Um, and then I, I do have a question. Uh, you were talking about, you know, controlling your breathing before the shot yes. and all that, trying to keep the buck fever from happening or, or reduce yes. it. Uh, one little trick I do, and I don't know if it's necessarily the right thing to do or not, but to control me, uh, turning into a madman, I often don't look directly at the deer. Um, but then again, it might be better to be looking exactly where you need to aim. But uh, what what do you do in that situation? You know, I don't <clears throat> I don't like to look at the rack once I've determined that I'm going to shoot it. I like to look at the deer, and I try not to focus on that. You know. Um, and, and I think it's a little bit different for everybody. Some sure. things work, you know, work for some people and they, and they kind of, hopefully they can figure it out. But, you know, like for an, the average person, if you get to hunt, you know, a handful of times a year, how many encounters are you going to have and how many years are you, I mean, how many decades go by before you can kind of, you know, maybe somehow get a handle on it. But I, I, I literally determine if I want to shoot it. And, and usually, and it's, it's another thing too. I can tell serious hunters by like, if you're going out and you don't have field glasses on and you're telling me you want to shoot a 170, you know, it's like, well, so you're going to judge it when it gets like underneath it. I mean, don't you want to look it over and figure out, you know, I mean, you know, you, you kind of got to sort through all the stuff, but once I look it over and, and determine that I want to shoot it, I, or I'm going to try to, you know, harvest this. I, I don't like to look at the antlers. I do like to look at, you know, maybe just the bigger picture, and really keeping both your eyes open too, because I've done that. Well, I, I shoot with both my eyes open. I may blink my left eye, but you know, your, your depth perception, your field of view goes away. But if there's a deer coming in from your left and you're a right-handed shooter and you close your eyes, I've already had them, they're coming in. And just before they get into your view, they turn and walk away and you don't even know it. And you're like, okay, where are you? Where are we? And the next thing, you know, oh my gosh, he's 10 yards walking away. You know, I like to be able to keep a wide field of view and just focus on breathing and, um, you know, and then look at where I, where I want to shoot and where my best shots are. And, you know, kind of really, you know, it's, it's just like anything else. Everything slows down as you get more experience and you get a little bit better at it, but it's kind of bow hunting is kind of cool. Cause I'll, I'll, I'll take somebody that shot, you know, a hundred deer and they, they're like, they're just deadly. Right. And then you take them bear hunting and a dang bear comes crawling in there. Boy, you're going to find <laughs> out lose what, you're, what you're made of now, boy. You know what I mean? It's like, Oh boy, this boy's, this is no, we're not deer hunting anymore. We're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy, you know? <laughs> so, but so, you know, you kind of experience like the, the last time where I've almost fell apart was I shot a brown bear in Alaska and he wa walked up this Creek at me and his head was about that big around. And it's actually behind us um, in my trophy room here. Um, I just didn't set up that way. But anyways, that one there, I was both excited and kind of scared for my life. You know, I mean, the thing was just this big, huge thousand pound lumbering thing. And he walked literally right up to, I mean, he, he was just like maybe three yards away. Oh gosh. And the, guy, the guy's over my shoulder going, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot. <laughs> and I'm like, 
Ooh, and then he turned and started walking away and he got broadside. He's about maybe 10, 12 yards. And he's like, okay, you can shoot. But he was walking and I'm following him. He's like, you can shoot, you can shoot. He's telling me, I'm like, man, be quiet. Finally, he stopped at like, he was under 20, maybe 17, 18 yards. And I, and I, poof, the arrow went through him and he does the old. Oh. And I'm like, and I, and I started grabbing for another arrow and he's grabbing me. He's like, I told you not to move after. And then the bear walked off and fell over. And I'm like, Oh my Lord, that was, you know, but, but, you know, you got to remember, and I, I try to remember that there could be somebody that's trying to kill their first doe and they could, you know, that could happen to them. You know, I mean, it's, everybody's going to react differently to it, but I promise you focus on breathing. That is, I mean, if you can do that, that that's going to help. And then you, everything else will just kind of evolve. Then it's going to be, you know, like, what do you look at them? Do you not look at them? Do you just, you know, do you kind of, you know, you'll figure out different ways to deal with it. But if you can focus on breathing, that's, that's a, a really good point of emphasis. I'll add that to my arsenal. Three yards. <laughs> yeah. Three yards on the brown bear. I know it was, it was, I tell you what, it was very intense. And then the guy that I was, that I was hunting with, I ended up guiding for him for a few years up in Alaska and he wanted me to guide. Um, he goes, man, I can get all kinds of archery hunters. If you'll guide them. I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> wow. Them um, things look like they could hurt you. <laughs> so if you had shot him at three yards, he, he would have just turned around and mauled y'all. Well, and that's why he was telling me, that's why he was telling me not to shoot. Even like when he first turned around, he wanted the bear to get away from me, which I didn't understand, which I quickly did when I shot, you know what I mean? I'm like, Oh, I get it now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that might be too. Yeah, late. no, he's like, he wanted it to get away from us a little bit. And he even told me that beforehand, if the thing's real close, don't shoot because if he comes unglued, you know, we'll both, you know, we'll be, yeah, it, it's going to be a bad deal, you know, but yeah, so it, it was pretty intense. Oh my goodness. Mac, I'm looking at you. You look like you got a question. I do. I, I've got a bunch of questions, but, but two that I wanted to, to ask Paul was kind of back to the preparation aspect. So, yeah. so I know for me, I, I pull my bow out about a week before season. And, I don't uh, admit that. I mean, not really, but I mean, <laughs> when you're trying to condition your body to get back into bow hunting, I mean, if you don't shoot year round, what are some good practice? I mean, like regiments to, to get your draw hold long, Longer and to kind of get back in the groove of things before season you know what that that's a, that is a great question and you know if you seriously if you've gone a month without shooting your bow you're gonna know um you know really what the condition of of your 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 shoulder and arm muscles are and which is really kind of a good gauge because you know i know it happens a lot during hunting season especially up here in the north it's going to get a little bit cooler and when you get cooler you get a little tighter and it's a little bit harder to pull but it was really interesting because my wife um she hasn't bow hunted in a few years because she's had some uh you know, some shoulder issues, but I remember for her, it was 44 pounds. She could at 44 pounds, she could pick her bow up cold and draw it back and aim. And she might be a little shaky, but I mean, she could handle the bow where, you know, if you got to, if you're pointing, you know, if you're doing that, you know, you need to be able to take it. When you pick that bow out of the closet, you hook that release on. If you can't slowly and smoothly point it at the target and make the least amount of movement, you're probably shooting a little bit too much poundage now like my wife like we're let's say we're getting ready to go bear hunting and we start shooting and we're going to shoot heart heavy for six weeks i'd turn it up a couple of pounds you know like every few days next thing you know she's shooting 55 pounds and she can draw it fine you know 
And then literally uh, we get done bear hunting and she hasn't shot her bow in a couple months. She picks it up. She can't even draw it back. Turn it down to 44. She can get it back. So I think everybody's kind of got their, their point where like, you know, there's so many pushups you can do if you've never done them, you know, maybe some, one guy it's five, the next guy, maybe it's, maybe you haven't done a pushup in three years and you can get down and do 20 of them, you know, you're kind of your natural strength. So that's kind of, I think, you know, like almost like a baseline. And then, um, so if you, if you kind of hang around that baseline, you really don't have to worry and you can get your muscles toned up very quickly. Um, and I've noticed that as I've gotten older, it's like, holy smokes, like, especially once I got to like 55, you know, I, uh, you know, I shot a Cape Buffalo at, uh, when I was 56 and I had my bow, I had an 80 some pound bow. And so I worked my way up to that and I can handle that just fine. Right. Well, <laughs> I got home and heck, I wasn't even home. I'll bet you not, not a week and a half. And I went to draw that back and it was like, I think some stuff tore loose in some places, you <laughs> yeah. know, like, like, holy smokes, man. But I mean, you know, so you kind of, kind of, but I, I think, you know, practicing in, in a simulated hunting condition with the kind of poundage and really with your clothes. I mean, all these little details get everybody every year as far as like, oh man, I got cold. I put my jacket on, a string hit my jacket and, um, you know, uh, you know, my arrow flew funny and, you know, I made a bad shot or I missed or, you know, all, all that stuff happens. So anything that you can do to simulate hunting practice, which is kind of nice. Like when we were young and we had, you know, no money and a lot of time, that's all you did. You went out and tried to plink squirrels and, you know, stalk squirrels and shoot at them. And you, you, you kind of learned all this stuff. And like I say, now most people are going to watch it and try, they're going to try to learn something, you know, watching YouTube or, you know, gamekeepers, you know, podcasts and stuff like that, but you still have to get out and you have to do it. You know, you have to practice it. So simulated hunting practices, very important. Yeah. And I think with being a, an archer, uh, b being in better physical shape, it r r yeah. aids you more so than most of the other things that we try to try to do. For sure. Um, so look, Paul, could you, you, you talk about shooting animals at long distances and I, yeah. I, 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 I want to make sure we caution people before they, if they watch you on video, shoot something at 90 yards that, that they that there's a lot that goes into that people shouldn't oh, absolutely. Sh shouldn't yeah. just you know automatically think well i need to try that could you kind of touch base on learning to shoot that far and the scenarios that may that you feel comfortable shooting that far and also right. explain why somebody should shouldn't do that as well absolutely and you know what i'll i'll, I'll tell you um Everybody asks, like, what's, oh, you're going uh, mountain goat hunting. What's the farthest you'd shoot? Well, you, you can't answer a question like that. I mean, there's too much that goes into that. It's, it all depends on, I mean, winds are probably the worst thing, you know, for long distance. I mean, not only, not only is it the drift on the arrow and the drag, it's going to be, you know, just being able to, well, you got, I'm sure everybody that's done much bow shooting at all knows when that wind's blowing it's trying it's grabbing your bow like an umbrella and it's moving around so all these things have to be factored in you know to uh, before you know what your effective or what, what you know what what distance you would actually shoot in a particular situation i mean i've had i had one i shot a mule deer um i don't know about five or six years ago it was like 35 to 38 mile an hour winds with gusts up in the 40s 
And we, it would, the good thing about that is that we were stalking this deer and I was able to get 20 yards from it. And heck, that seemed like a long shot to me. I mean, the bow was blowing all over and I did hit it back a little bit from where I wanted to, but I, I hit it good and we it ran over the hill. My dad was with me. We went back, we could actually see it. And, you know, it, 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 about 50 minutes later, it, 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 it died. But there's a case where, you know, had there been no win, I may have taken up to a, a 70, 80, 80 yard shot, you know, in that situation, but because of the wind, it's so much a little bit. One thing I'll tell you about, <clears throat> about long range shooting is that I want you to, people need to think of a long range shooting for follow-up shots. I mean, not only as the primary shot, but as the follow-up shot, because, you know, there's a lot of times where, boy, I'll tell you what, what you, you think, and, and I'll tell you what, it just happened to me. I was actually hunting with Bruce Hudala, um, uh, just last week or the week before last a, a season open on the first of September must've been about my, I hunted five days with my dad. He got his on the fifth on the sixth. I shot a deer and I shot a, a real nice mule deer. And the first shot was back a little bit, but I thought it was good. I mean, he ran off and he went across the ditch and he turned broadside. And the first shot, he was like 28 yards and uh, he stopped. And I thought he was going to go down and I watched him for about 10 seconds and he didn't go down. So I grabbed another arrow and I shot him at like 68. And actually that shot was better. And he ran off and ran over the hill and died. You know, it's like, I mean, there's times when, you know, a follow-up shot is, you know, it can be very, very beneficial. So if you can do it, and I think shooting long range, just in general, if you're practicing, you know, and you're shooting at a hundred yards, and you can hold really nice groups at 100. Let's say you can keep them in a in a volleyball or a softball at 100 under ideal conditions where there's no wind and you're out there shooting. You know, when you get to the closer distances, it, it it's a lot easier. I mean, you go up to 30 yards and you feel like at 30 yards you're standing right on top of it, and you really shouldn't be. You know, so I mean, I think I just did a lot of long range shooting, and I kind of started out more with follow up shots. And then eventually got to the point where, you know, I can actually, you know, I can actually, you know, shoot well enough, you know, that, that, Hey, this could be, you know, if I get, uh, you know, 85 yards from a mule deer, I could do it. Now I'd always recommend trying to get as close as you can, because I'm not trying to show off. I'm really not. And in some ways I'm embarrassed because I, I can't get closer, you know, uh, my white tails, I've shot a lot of white tails and I, I I've never figured out the average, but it's probably 20 yards. I mean, most of the white tails are pretty close. You can call them in, you get set up. I mean, I've shot some, I, I can't even think of any, you know, too crazy, but most of them shots, like when you're caribou hunting, you know, and you're mule deer hunting and, and like, a, you know, I've shot all five species uh, of caribou and I've shot all the deer and all the different mule deer and stuff. And, you know, and you get into that stuff and that's, you know, if you can extend your distance, it's going to, you know, give you more opportunities. But, you know, th on the flip side of that, is I, I'm always very cautious. And like, I know, like you were talking about Will Primos and he always likes to tell stories. I hunted with him for many years and he'll talk about this shot or that shot or whatever. And I'm like, man, I, I really firmly believe you're only as good as your next shot. And so I, I really, I, I hate talking about it. Cause then, you know, I know what's going to happen. The dang deer's going to come by at 22 yards and I'm going to shoot it in the front leg. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's like, maybe it was too close. I mean, I mean, I mean, a lot, like I said, when you take a shot, a lot of stuff can happen. And a lot of times, most of it's not very good. But if you really, really feel confident and don't really get, um, 
you know, uh, out of your means or, you know, or do, do something that, I mean, if you're, if you start doing stuff like, you know, hanging the pin three feet over their back and stuff like that, that's going to get you into trouble. I mean, you start relying on luck and, uh, and, uh, you know, that's where you're going to get into trouble. Now on a follow-up shot, if you're trying to get another arrow into something, you know, that's a different deal, but your first shot, you're hanging a pin two feet over something's back you'd be better off to just kind of regroup and try to figure out how to get into a spot where you can shoot it where the conditions are right. And you have a pin for it. And then that makes, that makes, you know, it makes everything kind of mesh together, you know? Right. That makes too much sense from, you know, ethical standpoint, <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, when, when I start getting accused of uh, making too much sense, <laughs> I just want to have an alligator sandwich and go to bed. You know what I mean? <laughs> and knowing your equipment, I mean, it's huge. I mean, no one, no one can tell you your distance. I mean, only, you know, your distance. And, and uh, that's absolutely right. Knowing the species you're hunting, you know, a white tail yeah. in the South, you know, you were talking about wind, uh, if there's no wind and you're shooting at a whitetail at 40 yards and he's a little bit on edge, that's too far of a shot because they're going to jump it the is. string most of the time. It is, man. The first whitetail I ever killed in Mississippi was at Will's place. And uh, I could not, he, I go, I crawl up in this tree stand and I'm like, I'd never been so high in my life. I'm thinking, what is wrong with these people? You know? <laughs> and I remember I ranged the ground. I go right straight down. It was 11 yards to the ground. I'm like, are you kidding? I'm 33 feet up in the dang air, right? I do and fawn come into the food pot and they look right up at me. I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, them are the wiriest gold and them deer hunting at with Bobby in Alabama. My Lord, I tell story. I'm very fortunate that I've got to, that I was, that I was able to hunt deer in places like that, because I'm going to tell you something, man, our Missouri deer are not like that. And they're, I mean, they're just so much more. I mean, I had a guy one time, he is from Louisiana and uh, he got up in a ladder stand. We had a ladder stand on a food plot. And I think we had a nice little Maxima, biologic Maxima food plot. Thing is beautiful. Deer were coming into it. He goes down there. He's in this tree stand. It's like, it was a 16 foot tree stand. And this guy crawls up there and he's like, you can't kill a deer out of this. So he stands on the seat so he could get up next to the tree, right? And the dang deer comes to his right. And now he can't shoot because the tree's in the way. So he's standing up there. The deer walks by, starts eating, and it's feeding through the food pot. He steps down off the stand. He draws back, and it walks off. Never did see him. He's like, I, will, I if I would have just sat in the stand, I would have. And he, the deer walked right in front of the camera, 150-inch deer all day long. But that's, once again, that's going back to this guy in Louisiana. There ain't no way. So I got to remember, like, okay, you guys, you guys from down south, it's like, just trust the setup. You know, because you, you don't have to, you know, you know, crawl up on a branch 15 feet above where the tree stand is hung, you know, and, and try to hide in the tree. It's set up really good for you. But he was just, you know, in awe. He'd never hunted any place other than Louisiana. And, and, and forgive me, I can't remember what part, but does it matter? I mean, you know, it's like these, these things are just, uh, you know, uh, just always on. It's almost like hunting. I, 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 I've killed a couple of coos deer or cows deer. Oh, my God. Yeah, let's... Hate, hate mail now. Oh, my God. But anyways, um, yeah, even the guys, you know, it's actually pronounced cows, but a lot of people call it coos. But if you call it cows and the real, there's some people say, no, it's a coos. And it's like, well, you know. Yeah, we've um, had that argument. Back to back to back to birthing deer. So, but anyways, um, so th this poor guy here, you know, he he doesn't know any any you know any different, and uh, so he felt like 
man, this deer is going to come and pick me off in this tree stand. But that's where I back full circle. I'm just fortunate that I got to hunt places like with Will in Mississippi. And I hunted Arkansas. I got to hunt with Bobby down there, you know, uh, by Florence, Alabama. And I got to experience like what deer can really be when they're really evil. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, they, no, they, no. they are. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's interesting because you, 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 different parts of the country, they're, they're different up oh, well, you know, oh, we've our magazine editor, Todd Amonrude, uh lives yeah, yeah. in Minnesota, not too far from you guys. And he, you know, he's killed a half a dozen Pope and Young's in the last 10 years out of ground blinds. And I mean, he's really good at that. And that's, uh, but we can't get away with that down here. Well, you can. Not to the extent that he can really fast on that. Not unless you build a beaver hut on top of it, of of branches and stuff. So, Paul, uh, let's. uh, Would you tell the story of the time that you went? I think it was bear hunting in Canada, and you got flown in and dropped out. Would you tell our listeners that story, please? Oh man, my (laughs) wife. My wife has never even heard this story, so she'll probably probably freak out. But whenever I do something, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go all in. Like when I learned to swim, I went to the deep end and, you know, I mean, so anyways, we go up to Canada and I brought my recurve and I, and I I actually had a, a, a a black widow recurve that I got. I was messing around with it and I shot this black bear. And I had had it for a couple of years, but I, but I uh, would always chicken out. I wouldn't use it, but this, we were on this brand new bait and we set it up and it was like seven yards from the bait. And I'm like, well, you know, if it's ever going to happen, this is going to have to be the place. So first night out, this bear comes in and I shoot it. And I, I was on cloud nine. I couldn't believe it. Right. So anyways, we needed to, we needed to go go back to the main camp to get supplies and stuff like that. And they had some stuff for sale there. And God dang, uh, I bought a pack of cigarettes. I'm not a smoker. Oh, this is a good story. I bought some some I don't know what they were they were menthol and I smoked one of them suckers and I swear I about passed out and anyways I'm like oh dang that was pretty good so um the guys were going the next day so I had them get me a whole carton and I chain smoked those things I chain smoked I'm not kidding you I chain smoked and and there's plenty of people I promise you that can verify this but like we had a one book of matches or a couple books of matches so I I just kept them going you know you get done with one you light the next one you know so I get up in the morning I chain smoked all day and we had to go get another carton of cigarettes and so anyways this whole thing and my really good friend of mine Dan Nagel says so you smoke now huh and I go well I'll quit when I get back you know uh, no problem right well anyways we do this we fly out of there and after a week of that, man, did I want a cigarette, dude? I, I, I I'm gonna tell you, like the next month was hell. I wanted one of them so bad. So if you try to tell me how hard it is to quit smoking, I'll tell you I know exactly what you mean because because I quit. Now, granted, I didn't smoke for a long time, but I did uh, like two plus cartons in about a five day period, and uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. So, anyways, there's. I'm usually pulling some kind of shenanigans like that, but it really was. But I tell you what, you really get the cravings and you know, they don't work very good after, after the first carton, you don't even, you know, you don't get a buzz from them, you know? So, but anyways, 
I'm sure lots of people have done that. Uh, well, what, I'm sure. <laughs> what I remember is he told the story, but he said he was back at his bow shop and he was tying in a peep and his yeah. hands were shaking really bad. <laughs> yeah. And this Oh guy, my God. This, I felt I did. I was shaky. I was terrible. You know, it's wrong. Oh man, I quit smoking. And someone says, Oh, I, you smoked. I go, yeah, I, I quit though. The other day I said, <laughs> and they said, we, how long have you been we smoking? Didn't we didn't get into it, you know, yeah, they but said, you know, when you were, uh, they, they asked him, how long has he been smoking? And he said, five days. <laughs> I started last week, but I but I guarantee you, I hit it as hard as it's ever been hit for a five-day period, you know? But, I think there was a but, Simpsons you know, episode like that or something. It, it could be, Maybe it yeah. was based on yeah. you. <laughs> it might have been, geez. But, you know, you were talking about the um, about uh, practicing with your equipment and stuff like that earlier, man. And, so what's really funny is when I went, I went on a muskox hunt and uh, I was like 2000, it was like 20 some years ago, you know, and um, I had this big, uh, I don't know, this big jacket. They provided me with this caribou jacket, which was really warm. And I always say, have you ever seen a caribou shiver? No, because <laughs> these things are warm, right? So I'm wearing this jacket and I go to shoot my bow and man, it didn't shoot very good because the thing was, I mean, the, I swear to God, the thing was a foot thick, you know? So I'm like, well, I'll slip my arm out when I shoot. So I slipped my arm out and I shot and I was right on, you know? So anyways, fast forward a couple of days later, we are, on, we are like, I don't even know, 12 miles out on a snowmobile. It's like negative 50. And I am the most miserable I've ever been in my whole life. I am so stinking cold. We're staying in a tent. I'm sleeping between two Eskimos. We get up in the morning, we go out. And finally, on the third morning, <clears throat> um, we find these, you know, where, where the hill comes, the uh, the wind blows off the snow and the lichen is all underneath there. And all these caribou are congregated there. So now we're going to, we're going to sneak up to them, right? Well, they're all eating. We walk up and uh, I got this jacket on and I, and I walk like 400 yards in it. And I was so stinking hot. There's sweat running down my deal. And we're waiting for him to come to us. And of course, I'm sitting there and it's getting colder and colder and colder. And pretty soon I'm starting to shiver. And I'm like, wow, I got to do something, man. Finally, they get close enough. And they were like 30 yards. And uh, he's like, all right, right there, that front one, you know, to take that front one, right? And I remember I, I hooked my release on. And, and he's like, you're going to take your arm out of the jacket? I'm like, nope. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> Heck no. And th these things look like a Volkswagen covered in a shag carpet. You know, you can't see the shoulder. You're like, so anyways, I draw back and I kind of, I aim and the arrow literally took off in a corkscrew. Like I think it could have cleared a basketball. Like I think it could have, and it hit it. And, it, and I thought I was too far back and I'm like, Oh no. And it, it runs about 20 yards and it stops. And I'm like, Oh boy, now it's 50 yards, you know? So I grab another arrow and I aim in front of it. And I shoot again, and that arrow does the corkscrew, and the first arrow just about hit. The second arrow almost hit the first arrow. I'm like, ah, oh, and it turned, and it ran, and it stopped, and it fell over. And as it turns out, I was like back of the lungs, liver. It was actually a good – I thought I was – I didn't – I mean, it was – the whole thing was just really goofy. It was so cold. And these Eskimos, they skin this thing out. They take their glove off, and they have a – one of them, you know, them Coleman stoves you pump up mm -hmm. and they're warming their hands up on that, you know, and then they cut, 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 and they'd warm their hand. Cut, cut. I'm standing there. I'm freezing. And uh, so I had two tags and this is the first one. And I remember I, I tell them, uh, Hey, when we get this cut up, if we leave now, could we make it home before dark? 
And the guy's like, well, you still have another tag. I'm like, yeah, this is fine. I'm good to go. Get me the heck out of here. So we end up getting home. We get home. It's late after dark or whatever. I got a couple of days before I fly out of there. And they're like, hey, you want to go to a hockey game? We're going to a hockey game tonight, you know? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like fun. Well, I don't know what I was thinking. Like they were going to be in an arena or something like that. But no, no, this thing was outside. Oh, and I remember we got, we drove over there. I'm like, oh boy, it's outside. Well, yeah, they look at me like, I don't know what I was thinking. I thought I was going to be in the Metrodome or whatever. But anyways, no, I said, yeah, you, you better take me home, you know, take me back to the house. So anyway, yeah, but but once again, there's a situation where I shot. I mean, I had every good intention, but I got into a situation where I thought I was going to die. It was so cold. And I just went ahead and shot, you know, with my jacket on, but really wasn't the right thing to do. But I did it anyway. <laughs> and that time it turned out all right, you know. You know, I've heard people that have been on that muskox hunt that, that they ride in the back of this buggy and it, they're covered up with those skins. And they say it smells so bad that you're that's just. What I, that's what it was. It's exactly what. So get this. I'm in the back of this skull thing. <laughs> thing and i'm cold going out there so i went and i got in my sleeping bag and i had pulled the sleeping bag over my head right and and i would get dizzy or seasick or car sickness or snowmobile on the 50 below zero ice sickness and i would literally like have to pull my head out and focus on the back of the sled then i would kind of then i'd be okay you know like okay 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 then i start getting cold again then i cover my head and this goes on We'd stop and I'm like, are we almost there? Oh, we got six more hours. Oh God. Oh my God. Oh, it was, it was, it was really, really cold. A really, an, another really good friend of mine, which I don't know if you know Ray Howell uh, from Kick, Kicking Bear, Ray. Uh, he, I remember he had just gone uh, polar bear hunting and he offered me his Arctic expedition suit. And I'm like, ah, no, they got, uh, they got uh, <laughs> caribou skins. They borrow us genius so anyways uh, the whole time i'm thinking oh my gosh i wish i would have taken advantage of that so uh, and it seemed like the other people that were up there hunting that had that they, they were a lot more comfortable let's just say the people that had that arctic expedition suit on so if you ever uh go muskox hunting you know give me a call i'll hook you up <laughs> there you go <laughs> oh my goodness i can't imagine uh -uh. yeah it was it was and i thought because i'm a wisconsin boy it's like oh yeah man and we went in april i'm like well yeah this is just like spring you know it's not i promise you it's it is just it's yeah life in the deep freeze terrible but but i'm glad i did it it was a great great experience um i i that one day i went to the to the i was in holman uh holman victoria or right on victoria island in a town called holman and I remember one day they asked me to go into the school and talk to all the classes. So you, you walk in the school and to the right is first, second, third, and then fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th, all in one school. There's like maybe, maybe 30 kids in the whole school. And I went, and I remember I was in the, in the third, fourth, fifth, or the fifth, or the third, the fourth, fifth, sixth graders or whatever. And one of the kids asked me what happened to my hair. <laughs> You can imagine all, all them little cute little Indian kids, Inuit kids, you know, they they all got a full head of hair and yeah. nobody ever loses a one, you know? And I told them, I told them every time you tell a lie, one falls out, falls out, you know? And so hopefully I help some kids up there, you know? Yeah, they probably never seen a bald white guy. No, they were like, I pulled my, they're like, what? Like, what kind of devil is this, you know? You know, like, Dr. I, Evil. What, little, little kid, what happened to your hair, you know? 
Uh, and then the teacher's like, no, that's not polite. To, that's not to polite to ask somebody that. And I'm like, oh, that's all right. You know, I have what's called, I'm what you call bald. <laughs> so Mostly Paul, bald. You've traveled around the world hunting, though, but it, your home there in Wisconsin, what, what is it that you have? You've been and done so much, but what is it that you really enjoy about hunting? Is it, is it deer? Is it turkeys? What, what is it? You know what? It, it's it's really white-tailed deer. That That is really, you know, and I think for a lot of people, it's kind of like what you started doing. And I've noticed that, you know, I get a lot of people that come from the South and, you know, turkey hunting is an absolute religion in the South. And it's really not like that. I think because turkeys haven't really been you know, up here, uh, as long. I mean, I think I was 30 years old before I seen my first Turkey in Wisconsin, you know, so it's, a, it's really, but down there it's, it's like a religion, but I, I always enjoy hunting white-tailed deer. Cause you know, we grew up doing that and we grew up learn and, and I really enjoy, I mean, I I've got 80 acres here, right at my, at my place in Wisconsin that I manage. And it's kind of just outside. It's in St. Croix County. It's kind of just outside of, you know, uh, where there's a bunch of developments and stuff. So it's the last, probably the biggest chunk of timber and woods right here or whatever. So I've got a, I got food plots back here and I got, I got a little turnip plot that my dad sits on. That's right back in the woods, kind of off the East side of the road. And I think, uh, he has killed, I want to say 24 does in the last four years yep. off this. I mean, and I just got a picture yesterday. I got a picture of seven on there at one time. It's like, Nobody else shoots him. The car gets, you know, so I'd be like, dad, you're going to, and he just loves it. You know, my, you remember my dad, Bobby, yeah. he just, he just go. Yeah. So anyways, I'll call him up and I'll go, yep, we got some work to do, buddy. And he's right over here to do it. He loves it. Yeah. So obviously that you enjoy managing your property there and, and then in Missouri, but it's just so, absolutely so rewarding to be there and do things 12 months out of the year. And don't you find it, it really is. And I, it's funny. Cause I just had a guy, I'm just, uh, just got back from Missouri, our season opener. We had a hunt the 15th through the 19th. So I came home yesterday, which was the 20th. And, uh, there was a guy down there that's hunted, hunted with us before. And he was so inspired by, you know, we got this food plot and you can go. So he went and did his first food plot and he's showing me pictures and he's like, yeah. And next year I'm going to do this and that and that. And he's looking for, I, I think, you know, I think like Bruce Hudala is probably the best example of that. I swear he enjoys so much, you know, going out and actually managing his land and working it and trying things and putting in trails and making back doors and adding food plots and trying this and doing that. And it really is fun. And I, I told the guy, I said, I, I can tell you right now, if you're going to get into this, for like the next five years, all you're going to do while you're hunting is you're going to sit up in your tree stand and go, I need to make that plot bigger. Yeah. I need to stand over there. I need, I mean, but once you get past all that, you know, to the point where you can, where it's like, wow, this is really fun. Like I've got it all set up. I've, I built a, a tower stand for my dad and he's got, uh, it's got, you know, a rail on each side and a five inch lift on the stairs. So he can, he can get up there real easy. It's got a big landing so he can open the door and not feel like you're, you know, you're crawling into a tunnel or whatever, you know? So but I go, it, it, it's a lot of fun and you bring enjoyment. It's really fun to grow and manipulate the deer. And I think the first time you do that, it's, it's pretty exciting. You know, when you're like, wow, I, I watched this deer with cameras all summer. I put this plot here. I put this screen here so I could get to the stand. I had the stand up. I waited for the wind and everything to be perfect. And I slipped in here and I killed this deer. And it just, it's just, it's really fun. So, I mean, I like to do 
a lot of different things. Um, you know, I really enjoy whitetail hunting, but you know, the bear hunting, I kind of like that because it's such a social thing. I mean, we can, you know, it's, you know, there's some things that are just not made, you know, to be done in big groups, you know, but things like that, you know, hog hunting, bear hunting, things like that, where you can have a bunch of people and kind of be more of a social event. I, I enjoy all that stuff. And, you know, I go from, you know, hunting with, you know, like some really, you know, like going and hunting with Will Primos to the next week I'm hunting, you know, public land in, uh, in Nebraska, you know, I mean, so, you know, just, a I like doing whatever it is, you know, whatever it is, it's just fun to go out and go hunting and try to see what you can do, you know, for sure. Um, this is a little off subject, but you know, you've mentioned Will Primos a, a couple of times. Can you, and I'm sure our listeners want to know, have, can you explain how you got tied in uh, with them uh, back in the day? Yeah, I was actually, I was a Primos dealer at uh, my store, A1 Archery, and Will was always really good about um, calling all new dealers. So I got to talk with him on the phone. And then I was getting into video and filming and stuff. And, and, and I kind of had some ideas and, and through Bruce Hudala, Bruce was repping for him at the time. Bruce used to have Hudala and associates. And so I was talking to Bruce about it and Bruce said, Hey, I can have, we'll give you a call. And so I met him on the phone. We had a, a real nice conversation for about a half hour. Well, wait a minute, half hour with Will was probably more like 10 minutes, but, but it was, we, we got a half hour's worth of stuff done in 10 minutes, I guarantee you. So anyways, we had this real a conversation and then, uh, and then our, our paths uh, didn't really cross for probably several more years when I was at the Wisconsin Bowhunters convention and he was there. I think he was at Gander Mountain doing a, a seminar and Casey Bloom, good old Bloom had to go pick him up and they swung by. And I started talking to him about injection molding parts. And, um, you know, he had was using a bunch of different people. And I said, well, I'd really like to give it a try. Uh, and and, and let, uh, let me show you what I can do for it. And he's like, ah, you're up in Wisconsin. That's too far. And I go, man, I'll, I promise you, I'll do a good job for you. And we can even go hunting. And he's like, don't everybody wants to go hunting with me. You're not going to go hunting with me. So every year I go, remember when we weren't going to go hunting? You said that that time. He just looks at me like... So, but anyway, so I started doing work for him and, and actually on my YouTube channel, if somebody wants to check it out, you can go in there and just type in how Will Primos met Paul Korn. Actually, he tells the story. And um, because uh, we had him come up to a one archery and do a, and do our, our, our customer appreciation day one year. And he, I was supposed to introduce him and in true Will Primos fashion, he uh, you know, I, I go up there and he introduces me and tells the story about um, how we met. And, um, and of course we, we videoed the whole thing and I, I put that stream on my YouTube channel, but yeah. So then we did a lot of work together and we started hunting together and, uh, and, and I, I used to do all his bow work. And then I taught him how to work on bows and stuff. And he, he took over and started doing his own stuff. Um, but yeah, for a long time, for even for a while, when the, with bear archery, with the Primo's truth bow, um, he was with them for two years and, um, per their agreement, he could have two advisory people. And I think he had, had Cameron Miller on there and myself, us two were, you know, as part of the Primos, you know, approval process for the bows and stuff like that. So I remember I was so proud. The first truth bow that ever came out, they called him and they said, Hey, we got it built. And uh, man, I think you're really going to like it. We're going to send it out today. And Will told him to send it to me, send it to Paul Corn. I want him to shoot it and tell me before I even look at it. And I'm like, this is pretty special. You yeah, know, that's I'm like, a great wow. compliment. I mean, because be, because going back to the first time 
Will took me on a hunt down to uh, Cottonmouth, down to Will Walker's place, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember I get down there and I'm like, my God, I'm hunting with, you know, Will Primos and Will Walker and Brad Ferris is there filming. And and actually Bob Dixon was there. That's when I met Bob Dixon, you wow. know? And, and his son, Will, was there. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, this, is, this thing is just surreal, right? And so anyways, we go, okay, we're going to go shoot our bows. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And then we go out and we shoot bows. And I'm like, this is going to be embarrassing, you know, for them. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh my God, like Will draws his bow back and his draw length is like an inch and a half too long. And I don't know, Walker, I don't know what the heck, man. He was eyeballing her down the arrow and letting it blow. And I'm like, holy smokes. I couldn't believe it. And Oh, Will, Will Walker says, I, you got three pins on your bow, huh? And I go, yeah, I got a 20, 30, and a 40. He goes, you shoot at 40 yards. And I'm like, I had my 100-yard thing on there. I took it off because I – because, <laughs> and I go, yeah, I'd like to see that. And I'm like, I went back and shot a couple groups at 40 yards in there. And, I mean, there were – I was nervous, but I still – I put them in a baseball, and they were just all impressed. So then Will says, man, I'd like to shoot like that. And so I started working with Will. I'm like, well, the first thing we got to do is, you know, work on your form and your trigger pull and your follow through and all that other stuff. And man, he is, I'm telling you what, man, I don't think anybody will ever understand how good of a shot he is. I mean, he went, he, he really like, I mean, he cleaned up just like that. And, and he literally is such a good shot and really executes a shot exactly the way you should. And um, I mean, I was really proud of the way he, you know, pull that all thing together. But I got to tell you one other quick story. So I used to go down there like every other weekend I'd go down there. I'd fly down on Friday, spend Saturday, Sunday, Monday, you know, his secretary, Lorena would bring me back to the airport and we'd work on projects. Like we're trying to, you know, to, to I'm designing and building the hoochie mama, let's say, or something. Okay. Or, or, so I'm working on all this stuff. And uh, anyways, he had this little place he called Annie Wood and uh, he ended up uh, selling it after he bought uh, Rivers Run, you know, and anyways, we go down there and he was so proud because he was shooting really well. Right. So he goes down there and he's shooting at 50 yards, getting ready to go elk hunting. And, um, anyways, uh, he's, uh, he's, uh, like, all right, we're going to have a competition. He's like, uh, for a million dollars, best shot closest to the orange dot on the elk. And I'm like, well, can I at least shoot it once? And he goes, yeah, you can take one shot. So I pick his bow up and I shoot it. I think it was low left. Ah, I I think it was like around seven o'clock, you know? So anyways, he shoots and he hit it. And then I shot and my shot was better. And he goes, he goes, he goes, okay, double or nothing. And I go, no, no, I'm good. He goes, come on, double or nothing. Nope. Took the release off. I'm done. I want my million dollars. And I still, I'm still looking for it. He, he, Will Primos does not pay up on his bets. I beat him fair and square. And he told me that, well, Will Walker owes me, you know, some money for our bet. As soon as he pays me, I'll pay you. I'm like, man, all these guys, man, that's how they got money. They don't pay their bets. <laughs> but no, we had, a, we just have a lot of fun. And matter of fact, I sent him an invoice. I made him up like a fake invoice for losing archery bet for a million dollars. I got it hanging in my, in my back closet. I'm like, yeah. So anyways, he was, he was feeling his oats or whatever. And I'm like, I'll get my own ball out here and we'll have a real contest, you know? But anyways, it, it, it's, but it was, it's, it was just a very much a blessing, uh, you know, being able to work and really through all those people, you know, through meeting Bruce Hudala, I got to meet Will Primos and then got to meet Bobby Cole. And, and it goes on and on and on and on with a, a lot of different people. So a lot of great people meeting Bob Dixon. I was very fortunate to be able to get to meet him because I really enjoyed, we were down there, you know, for three or four days and, um, 
you know, and then of course, shortly after that is when he got diagnosed, you know, and, um, that was, I mean, I feel very fortunate to be able to meet him and so many people know him when I, I talk about, you know, people that know that I know Will Primos, (laughs) they'll come into camp and stuff like that. And they'll matter of fact, I had a guy that's hunting with me this year and he's like, you don't know Bob Dixon, do you? And I go, well, I, I kind I mean, I really, I hunted with him, but I, you know, I, I didn't know him that well. And he said he won a calling contest and, um, and he, uh, I can't remember, he didn't have, he was supposed to have a, 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 a jacket or shirt or something like that. And he goes, he didn't have it. So Bob went out to his car and got a prototype. Like, I can't remember which one it was, but it wasn't even out yet. And he gave him that shirt. And he st- that guy still has that shirt hanging in his closet today. That's cool. Very cool. It really wasn't. I'm like, I'm like, man. So I, I sent it on to Will and I said, hey, man, if you want to send this on to Toxie or someone, you know, maybe they, you know, maybe would want to hear the story or whatever. But I mean, the guy was, a, a, you know, just about in tears telling the story about it, you know, but it's so I mean, there's a lot of people that are really connected to Mossy Oak, you know, and to Primos and to the, the traditions of the South, I call it now, you know, I mean, For it's sure. all uh, very fortunate to, you know, to get drug into that world, you know? So I've been very fortunate, you know, to be able to do what I love and try to do it at a high enough level where people still believe in you and use you and come to the archery shop and come hunting with you and touched a lot of people and worked with a lot of people and, you know, and just had a lot of fun throughout the years. And that's my motto, you know, be serious when you got to be serious, but you know, you got to have fun too. That's right. Life's too short. Oh, he lives that. Here. He, he lives that. He, he, <laughs> he literally does. We had him in camp one time in uh, Austin, had gone to the store at the beginning of hunting season and bought beverages, you know, for the whole season, I guess, Cokes and Mellow Yellow and all that. But he bought a case of tabs. Paul, do you remember this? Oh, was, oh, I <laughs> forgot about that. 24 cans of tab. And by the end of the season, nobody had, had – the young guys listening to this won't even know what a tab is, but Coke <laughs> oh. used to have a product. It was in a pink can called a tab. And and uh, it was a diet drink. Had the one original calorie. zero calorie. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Terrible, so at terrible. The, at the end of the season, Paul and Bruce come down to hunt, and uh, and we just casually mentioned to Paul that yeah, nobody's drank those tabs. So in a two or three day period, Paul drank twenty four <laughs> cans of tabs. <laughs> I have cured myself of the tab, kind of like to say, he's like, man, that stuff's going to be there forever. Ah, oh, we can polish off a 24 tab. I, feel I mean, how hard can that be? You know, that feel- stuff has a wicked aftertaste. It's terrible. Is it still, can you still buy it? I don't think so. No. I don't know. I feel Thank so sorry God. for these people. I'm going to have to drink the rest of these tabs. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, look- I remember one time. Well, I, w- I was hunting mountain goats in British Columbia one time and we needed uh, two liter bottles. And so anyways, we went to town and we were going to pack up into the Galbang mountains the next day and he, and he didn't have any bottles. So he got, he bought two, two liter bottles of diet Coke and he was getting ready to dump them down the drain. Cause he needed the bottle. I'm like, Oh no, you don't. I drank both of those suckers. And I'm like, oh. I woke up the next morning. I'm like, Oh, I don't feel good. You drank. You drank four liters of Coke. That's a gallon, right? Well, not quite. 3.9 liters in a gallon. I don't, want, I don't want to exaggerate, you know. But anyways, that guy's name is Warren Wolfenden. He's got Beaverfoot Outfitters. You call him up. You know him. You, 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 I, yeah, yeah. He'll vouch for me on that one, unfortunately. <laughs> so, look, while we're right here and we're all laughing, we, we always do a thing every week, and uh, we're deadly asked 
quick. He rapid fires some questions at you, and it's yeah. it's uh, it's brought to you by our friends at Springfield Armory. They make those great pistols. Uh, Springfield Armory is just a great partner of ours. And uh, but Dudley, why don't you uh, turn? I'm gonna turn you loose, Paul. Get ready because these come fast. All right, Paul. So I'm gonna ask them quick, and I I'd like you to answer them quickly. Okay. Alligator that, sandwich. That, that's <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um. All right. So are you ready? Yep. Elk or muleys? Muley. Whitetails, hunt at home or out of state? At home. Waterfowl or upland birds like pheasants and quail? Pheasants. Uh, Viennese or sardines? Mm, oysters. <laughs> Good answer. Oatmeal, oatmeal or grits? Oatmeal. Tea, sweet or unsweet? Oh, sweet. <laughs> uh, out of... Uh, just you're hunting out in the uh, out out of state. Are you in a motel or are you truck camping? Motel now, truck camping twenty years ago. <laughs> uh, paper tune or bear shaft tune? Both. Good answer. Ocean fishing or freshwater? Fresh. Shampoo or shampoo plus conditioner? <laughs> baking soda <laughs> what do i need conditioner for man? Uh, one drop of hand sanitizer will get me done tab or diet coke uh diet coke <laughs> uh, unless there's a challenge uh bow kill fish uh bow kill and rough fish uh eat or bury them and turn them into fertilizer uh, tilapia, eat, uh, buffalo, eat everything else, fertilizer. There you go. <laughs> I, 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 think, okay? <laughs> I think at one time he was killing so many, he got into bow fishing yeah. and he was killing so many fish. He had to buy a bulldozer to dig holes for birds. I did. I had a guy come with the back. We killed 18,000 pounds of fish one summer. I got, I, I got into, we weigh, we get back, we weigh the buckets every night. We keep track of it, but they just opened it up in wisconsin at night and these lakes had no idea what was in store for them it was crazy. i mean we had so many dang uh so many fish on the boat the first night we just about put her under i don't think they're made to have <laughs> they're not made to have like 1800 pounds of fish on the boat you know you gotta you gotta kind of do it in steps you know but uh we had a lot of fun a lot of fun mm, i, I just had to wipe my eyes i was crying (laughs) mac have you got any questions for him no i've had enjoyed this one this is good he's so much fun i wish lanny could have been here he'd laughed his uh tail (laughs) off at at paul and while i'm thinking about it before i forget it you keep mentioning bear archery bear archery has a bow in bottom land now oh wow that is a good looking bow it it sure is so i'm a fan of bear that's what i'm shooting i like them that's what i've got so, uh, but look, um, seemed like we had something else we needed to, I can't remember, but we do have a, Paul, we, now we've got an official trivia question that we want to ask you. We've got trivia? a trivia. Yeah. A trivia question. You've got a chance that some listener to our podcast, if they leave a review, then we may randomly pick them out and they have a chance to win a, a prize. But we ask you the question, if you get it right, they win a prize. If you get it wrong, uh, they are probably going to hate you. So, so a lot of pressure a lot of pressure so i don't want to say hate but they'll probably be a little frustrated with you paul so richie what we got all right so we're playing for uh for jp easterling uh and the prize here is a spartan camera oh my yeah, gosh that's a great so prize. It's a holy one. cow so yeah it's yeah. a big one i'd like right. to apologize in advance <laughs> pressure's right. on 
right. So, all right. The question is, what state has the most linear coastline? What state has the most linear coastline? California? Oh, you know, I'm looking at Paul, and he's looking up. So he's not looking at his computer. He's not Googling. He's just using that little that mind right there. He's trying to think. And he went California, which is a pretty obvious choice, but it's not the right choice. Would you like to try that again? So think about just it. Just think about bit. how many states there are in our country. And you can phone yep. a friend. You can phone a friend as well. I think Obama said there was 54, right? Um, <laughs> you can holler, uh, holler down and ask well, your wife if you want to. There's more than 48. Yeah, there's there's 50 of them. The most linear, so a straight line. Well, no, you. Are we just talking are, most coastline. Coastlines the can most, be wavy. Oh, well, Co- then can I go? Would it be Florida then? Because that goes all the way around. That would be. <laughs> you know, Mr. I'm sorry. When you said linear, I'm thinking. Like in a straight line, like California's straight, right? Yeah, just, yeah. Okay, so let's forget <laughs> linear. What state has the most coastline? The most coastline? Florida's got to be up there. It is. That thing, that, huh? It is. It's got to be up there. But is it the big, I'm trying to think surface-wise, man, Texas has a lot too, don't they? Oh, my gosh, well, Paul. Maybe, maybe not the lower 48. <laughs> huh? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Paul, keep thinking. Coastline. Coastline. What is what is well, the biggest I, I, state? You, you might have shot a bear there. <laughs> he's probably he's been there. We've talked about it. Today. Or a caribou. Or a moose. Yeah. Starts with an A <laughs> and ends in an A. <laughs> no. Alaska? What am I? I, I oh, you got it right. No, wait a minute. Hold on a second. I I assume lower forty eight. That's I'm why I'm thinking said about. There- well, well, you shouldn't have assumed. It's a state. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean that's a. I, I, I'm think. I was thinking the lower, you know. So that's why. Yeah, never I mind. I think you're gonna have to buy the camera. Yeah. And can send. I have a different? Can I have a different question? I'm gonna buy the guy yeah. the camera. Oh my god. Oh, that's oh terrible. Can I have another? Do I really want another one? No, I don't. I don't think, I don't think you do. This is a place where you should quit while you're behind, right? <laughs> Do we have time for the Ask Dudley? I, well, might as well. You got one prepared? Okay. Let's do it. Quick Ask Dudley. Um, hey, Dudley, several of my oaks and persimmons I planted got eaten by deer when they grew out of the top of the tree tubes. Now it looks like an overweight, multi-stem bush right at the top of the tube. Picks attached. What branches should I prune to get it growing upright again? Any And also, any more tips? Uh, Gus down in Concordia Parish, Louisiana. Um, that's good, Gus. Uh, I get this question frequently, and uh, I'm I usually defend the use of four foot tubes. Uh, we've chosen to carry those instead of the five and six footers that can actually be out of the reach of deer uh, when they're you know want to eat what grows out of the top. Um, and my answer to that is we like the trees to get up and out of the tube sooner than later so they can start adding some more diameter growth uh, because uh, you know tubes have a lot of pros and cons one of the very few cons is that they tend to grow a little uh, more spindly they put on more height growth and less diameter growth so but once they get out of the tube they start adding diameter growth and after a couple years they can 
they can hold themselves up. But yes, uh, you need to, uh, to head that off. My answer is to spray some kind of deer away or something in the top of the tube, get your barber to collect some human hair. You might can put that in the top of the tube to keep the deer away from that tree uh, long enough to where it can grow out of their reach. Uh, it's really easy to do. But if you miss the cut on that, yes, it'll just start uh, throwing branches at right at the top of the tube and be a mess. Um, and prune, uh, making corrective pruning cuts, in my opinion, is really not the answer because you may have 10 or 12 branches basically growing out of the same height and it's just, it, it's a mess. Uh, so my answer to that and something I learned uh, growing trees and pots is uh, late that next winter, early that spring, go down to about three foot in height or two to three foot in height on your seedling and just completely cut it off to where it's just a two or three foot stick. And then uh, it's naturally gonna send up new shoots out of the top of that stob and then you can prune to where it's just one main stem and so it's got such a good root system because it you know it's been in the ground a year that it's going to send up that new main stem uh, in no time and it's going to be very vigorous growth and so that's how you do that just manage it lop it off and manage it for a brand new main stem it'll catch up in no time and it, it works so, so that doesn't matter if it's hard mass or soft mass, because I know we said oaks and persimmons, so you can do the same thing on both. Yeah, uh, but just keep in mind, when you when you lop that stem off at two or three feet above the ground, it's going to try to send up more than one shoot, and you have to come back a couple weeks later, and uh, you can actually just snap the remaining branches off and just pick the best-looking one, and, and it'll be your new main stem. Would you, would you fertilize it when you do that or wait? Um, while, while you're there, go ahead and, and put some fertilizer around it. You, yeah, we've got that new fertilizer that's so awesome. Put some mulch around it if you need to do some weed control, you know, the whole nine yards. I mean, our, our goal is to get that thing uh, it's grown as fast as you can in the first three to four years, and then you can start babying another set of trees. So okay. I hope that helps. Yeah, how about that, Paul? Yeah, that is great yeah. advice. That's good information there. So I can—he's way smarter than I am. I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people were trying to, you know, cut eight different branches off at the same place, and it was just a mess. And yeah, yeah. so lop it off and start over. And it's already got such a good root system that it'll it'll catch up in no time. So, Paul, yeah. I'm gonna put the pressure on you before we let you go. Is there one hunting story that's just your favorite that you like to tell? One that's funny or or, or, or dangerous or, or just, you've been so you've got to have a good one. Can we end on a good story? Um, man, I got a lot of them, and I told the one the one that I, the two that I tell the most are the you know the ones that I told you about uh, the muskox and um, and the brown bear hunt. Them two are, I mean, there's just, ah, there's just so many of them. I'm trying to think, uh, you probably heard of one that you want me to tell. Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, I've, I've, he I've heard some of them, but it seems like there was a story uh, involving maybe your first uh, Pope and Young whitetail. 
and you you were a young guy, and I just want to say there was some kind of I just remember some kind of crazy story. Well, the the first Pope and Young Whitetail, it's it's kind of a little bit crazy, but you know, I was I was uh, it w- would have been in 1987, so I would have been 20 when I got my first Pope and Young Whitetail, and I have a really good friend of mine, Tim Gass, the guy I talked about earlier, that kind of got me into bow hunting. We would take turns rattling for each other, and so we would. <clears throat> It was his turn to call for me and we're hunting. It was November 5th, 1987. And uh, he gets up on the tree and he goes to rattle for me. And when he clanged the horns together, he hit his thumb and he dropped them. And uh, I look over and he's climbing. He's he's in his climber crawling down the tree. I'm like, what in the heck is he doing? Picks up his rattling antlers, crawls back up on the tree and he rattles again. And uh, this buck comes in oh, and uh, I'm like, oh boy, that's a big one, you know? So <laughs> the thing comes around and, uh, and I had a dough and heat bottle kind of in a bloat, like a tree had fallen down. And I set this bottle of uh, estrus in there with a cotton ball in it. And this buck comes up and he puts his nose right in it. And I'm at full drive, like 15 yards. And I smack him right behind the shoulder and with a with a Rocky Mountain, you know, Supreme, remember them them things, you know? Yeah. And it goes through and he goes sideways and he knocks, falls over the tree, knocks the tree over, gets up and he runs away. And I'm like, oh my, I can't believe it. I finally got a really big buck. So I crawled on out of the tree. I go back to Tim, I'm like, what the heck were you doing? He's like, Oh, I hit my thumb, you know, and he you know, he dropped the antlers. He's all right. Well, we, we got to give it some time. We were at that point, we'd shot at a lot of deer and <laughs> screwed a lot of things up, but we knew we had to get out of there. So anyways, we get out of there. We go back to the house of my wife, bless her soul, Billy Joe. I tell her the story. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got an arrow in this great big buck. And, you know, we just got to give it a little bit of time. And she comes up and she gives me a hug and says, don't get your hopes up. <laughs> You could imagine what the what it was like before that. You know, it's like, no, no, no. This time I really, I really I hit the deer. I seen the arrow. Cause heck, you know, I get so dang excited to be like, I shot this. Well, I guess I missed it. You know, I mean, or I mean, I wouldn't find it or whatever. And so, anyways, we went out and got that deer. And I remember I brought it back to the house and I locked it in the shed. I had a little yard barn thing, you know. So I got married in 86. It would have been a year after I got married. We had this little metal shed and I went, I went, drug the deer in there and locked it. So no one would take it. That's how excited I was, you know, but anyways, my wife's saying, you know, don't get your hopes up, you know, and then after that, the tides turn and, you know, it gets a little bit easier and, and we just, you know, we kept chucking on, but yeah, but there's so many, I look around my room here and there's an, an incredible amount of just a lot of fun stories, you know, Someday you got to come over and I'll tell you a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, we sure have enjoyed having you on here and I would encourage people to, uh, that they can go and follow you on, uh, on your YouTube channel. It's Paul Korn, K-O-R-N. Is the R, is the R backwards on that? Like the man? No, no, no. Them people, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with them. (laughs) (laughs) No, the R's are, the R's the right way in mind, but that's the Paul Korn full hunting channel. Yep. I started that in 2011 and kind of just as a place to put some hunts on and have, you know, and just kind of, it, it really grew into quite a matter of fact, I couldn't believe it. I remember I, I'm looking through, uh, I, I uh, got a new computer 
a couple of years ago and I was downloading, uh, I, I think I, I put uh, Chrome on there or something like that. And it was a little bit different view and it said top 10 bow hunting channels on YouTube. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And I, I look at it and it's like, of course, Drury's are number one, you know, and then it's Tim Wells and I'm going down through the deal or whatever. And I get to number 10 and it was me. I wow. couldn't believe it. I'm like number 10. I'm like, I'm like, when they give a little, I'm like, wow, that was pretty cool. Not, you know, I'd never expected that, but yeah, I got, there's, there's a lot of videos on there, a lot of hunting and a lot of, uh, and so it's, what's really interesting is that, uh, after you get to a certain level on, on YouTube, they, uh, they hook you up with a, you know, with uh, someone, an advisor to, uh, um, to help you. And so anyways, they kind of go through my whole channel and stuff. And they're like, well, you know, if you would just allow anybody to comment on your videos that you, you're, that it would blow up, you know, you would, it would, you would get so much more traffic, but there's, I don't, I, I, people can comment, but I have to approve them, you know, and I, so that really hurts me in the algorithms, but you know, when I got my, my dad on there and my friends on there hunting, I, there's some people that say some pretty, pretty bad things. It rolls off my back. I look at it and I feel sorry for them, you know, but, um, but there's, you know, anti hunters and there's a lot, a lot of people that just, uh, that I just don't really enjoy all of that kind of stuff. So, um, I thought, you know what, whatever it is, what it is, it's a great place to, you know, we get back from bear hunting and I film a couple of hunts. I can load it on there and I can send people a link to it and, they've seemed to enjoy it. It's just a lot of fun. You know, matter of fact, I just loaded a uh, Bruce Hudala, a bunch of, a bunch of his mule deer hunts on from the past. If you look at probably the, the last half dozen hunts, I posted a couple of them are Bruce shooting some real nice mule deer in, uh, in Wyoming, but just, I, I, I am honestly very, very grateful for everybody and for all the people and for, you know, being able to do this and, and all the great people that I've got to meet through the years. It, it's really, it's almost surreal, you know, yeah, it is. Well, so we we sure have enjoyed uh, having you on here, Paul, and I'd like to do this again. I would encourage anybody to, that's, if you live in that Wisconsin area, to go by A1 Archery if they, if they hadn't already and experienced that. Tombstone Creek Outfitters is probably uh, another something that they could uh, follow online and learn more about you or maybe even go hunting with you, Paul, if somebody's brave enough to go do that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every now and then there's one. <laughs> one yep. will take a chance, you know. Yeah. Oh, it's a lot of fun. It, man, I just, I appreciate it. You guys got a great deal. I really enjoyed listening to the, to the, a uh, couple of uh, podcasts on Clover. You know, we've really gotten into that down in Missouri where we find that, you know, it's kind of funny when I first started out, I kind of thought Clover is kind of the lazy man's way out or whatever. And it's like really for get, getting the whole season out of it. And uh, really all the way through the summer into the early fall, all the way until really, really some of these blends really hold up nice now, you know, going into uh, when they get cold and don't go dormant as fast, you know? And so we've really, really focused in on, you know, that. So it's really, I, I was listening to a podcast here. One of the recent ones where, where he's talking about, you know, like trying not to stress it, which is really hard when you have your droughts and stuff like that, but we've been getting some good years out of them and it, it's been, it's been working good, but there's so much, there's so much information out there, you know, and there's a lot of great stuff and, you know, it's just finding the right ones, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, it is. It is. Well, I sure have enjoyed this. And look, I want to remind our listeners on Tuesday nights, we got the uh, the Gamekeepers television show on the Outdoor Channel. You can watch that. We've got, uh, guys, you can also, uh, this podcast, you could go watch it on YouTube and you could see Paul answering these questions. Producer Richie is 
worked his magic and there's Paul sitting right there. He's like, he's right here with us. So, uh, we'd appreciate guys. If you would share this podcast with your friends, I think, uh, that we'd appreciate that. Give us a review. And, uh, and I've looked, I'm also, I'm looking at the fall issue. The magazine. It's, it's in the, it's in the mail, the fall issue of the gamekeepers. So we got a lot going on guys. And next week we'll be back with another podcast, but we sure have enjoyed this, Paul. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, great. guys. Great meeting y'all. Absolutely. That was going to be hard to top. Oh, it is. He's a hoot now. He really <laughs> is. So I think that's about everything. Mac, you got anything else to add? I'm good. All right. Why don't you say goodbye, Dudley? Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Mac Mac. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.